Jesus doesn't seem to think that evil and suffering are problematic for the Christian. Welcome to the Ryan Holmes podcast, where our goal is to encourage Christian thinking and Christian living. This is episode number nine. I'm really thankful that you're tuning in with me today, and I hope you had a good week. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode where we talked about the information found in all of life and the complexity of life. Man, we've we've covered a lot of really good topics so far, um, as we, we've been kind of early on in the podcast, just kind of putting together a cumulative argument for the Christian faith and worldview. We've talked about truth. We've talked about um, the scientific evidence for the beginning of our universe and why that must point to a first cause, uh, which we obviously believe to be God, or I argued that that is God. We've talked about um, our universe and how finely tuned it is. We've talked about, again, like we like we did last week, um, the information found in life and the complexity of life and all these things are just kind of another piece to the puzzle. Um, and this week is going to be the same thing. But before I get into it, I really wanted to encourage us to pray for the situation in Afghanistan. I know that probably many of you have heard about what's going on, but it just seems to be crazy over there right now. And um, I just want to encourage you to pray for everybody there. Pray also specifically for the Christians there. I've been so heartbroken, but also challenged and encouraged at the resolve of so many believers who have who have mentioned that they're 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 fearful, they're scared, but they're trusting God and they're willing to die um, for their faith. They're willing to be ready to meet the Lord. And it's just, it's really incredible and really makes me thankful for the freedoms that I take for granted here where we live. And um, even in the midst of difficult times here, I'm really thankful for the for the freedoms that we have to worship and we're not fearful for um, somebody coming to knock on our door um, with the potential with the potential of death being on the other side of the door. And it's just, it's really heartbreaking and really it sounds cliche, but all we can do is pray and there's power in prayer, but there are others that are doing things, you know, recently I've heard about the um, Glenn Beck's Nazarene fund that, uh, that I think, I think put together something upwards of $20 million to go and get people out of Afghanistan, which is amazing. So there, there are people doing things. And if you feel helpless, if you feel hopeless, pray um, and just ask God to intervene and ask God to give those believers over there courage to stand. And, um, you know, we can't relate to what they're, what they're going through right now, but let's just pray. So let's, let's get into it today. Again, thank you for tuning in um, to this episode. We are going to be discussing one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite pieces of evidence for the existence of God. We are going to be covering this topic in two parts over the next two weeks. I felt that there was just so much to discuss and so much that I want to say on this subject. And so that's why I'm kind of spreading it over two episodes. So 
they might end up being two shorter episodes, but so I apologize for that. But uh, there's a lot to cover. Um, and also there are certain ideas that really need to be unpacked in order to give an adequate and clear explanation. So that's kind of the approach these next two weeks. This is a discussion uh, that is that is most often framed as a problem. It's often referred to as the problem of evil or the problem of suffering. It is said that the reason these are problems for the Christian, for instance, is that God or an all-loving God is incompatible with the reality of evil and suffering in our world. If God truly does love all people and wants the best for them, how could he allow them to suffer in this world? Well, I want to show us today that God and evil or God and suffering are not incompatible realities. There is no problem. There is no inconsistency. There is no dichotomy present. I want everyone to know right off the bat that as we get into this, I'm, I'm in no way making light of the sufferings and evils we see in our world. I'm not doing that and I won't be doing that as we go forward. So if anybody wants to suggest that I'm doing that, you're simply mistaken, okay? I've seen suffering around me and I've had a direct, real, and personal relationship with suffering. My family lost my sister to a battle with an eating disorder about 10 years ago or so. I've seen both my parents go through battles, multiple battles with cancer. I've seen my dad be forced into early retirement because of a workplace accident where he fell two stories and caused him to be in a coma for two weeks. And then having to, to relearn everything, the basics all over again. So those are, those are just a few examples, the, the tip of the iceberg, if you will. I've seen these things and I've, I've been frustrated and I've asked God why, sometimes left without clear answers. So I've been in the raw emotions of the difficulties of this life and the suffering it can bring. I do not say, say this for you to pity me, but I say this to prevent anyone from dismissing this discussion because I haven't actually experienced suffering or, or whatever, something like that. At this point, I should make the clear distinction between the emotional wrestlings with this issue and the intellectual wrestlings with this issue. Logically, rationally, I can understand how evil and suffering are perfectly compatible with an all-loving, omnibenevolent God. But here's the thing. I can understand it intellectually and still wrestle with it emotionally and still even ask God why. And that's perfectly okay. But what I want you to do today is temporarily disconnect yourself from the emotional reaction to suffering and kind of come along this journey, if you will, of intellectual understanding. I hope you can do that with me today because most often those who object to God on the basis of there being evil and suffering in this world object because of the emotional reaction to it. So it's important we are able to distinguish between the emotional and the intellectual wrestling. So I hope that's clear. First of all, I want to I want to look at what the Bible has to say about the expectation of suffering. We'll just kind of look at a few passages. We're not going to go through too many, but just a few that would would help us understand this for a second. 
Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 2. This is God speaking to the people of Israel. It says this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers. They shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Notice how God does not say, if you pass through the waters, or if you walk through fire, but he says when. There's a full expectation that suffering and difficulty will occur. It may be important to note at this point that if God doesn't think suffering is incompatible with itself, with himself, then why should we? Listen to what Jesus says in John 16, 33. He says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus himself says it pretty explicitly. In this world you will have tribulation. You will suffer. So Jesus doesn't seem to think that evil and suffering are problematic for the Christian. He told Christians to expect suffering. As we'll see later on, the reality of evil and suffering are actually his entire purpose for coming to earth. Let's look at James chapter 1, verse 2 through, through 4. Sorry. It says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James tells the believer that trials will not only come, but he essentially commands us to count it a joy when they do come. When's the last time that you counted it a joy when a trial came? I'm not sure that, that I ever have. It's, it's pretty difficult. But not only does James ask the believer to find joy in trials, but he explains that these trials can bring about good in our lives. The early believers never had a sense that evil, pain, and suffering ran contrary to their faith. As a matter of fact, the life of the early church was met with nothing but persecution. And this persecution led to the explosion of the church all across the known world. The Christian worldview not only accounts for evil and suffering, but actually predicts it. Look at the fall of Lucifer and the angels. Look at the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. It's no surprise to us as Christians that evil and suffering are present in this world. And it's pretty clear that it is present. So we've noticed the expectation of suffering and evil from a biblical perspective. So I wanted to kind of set that up first as we get into this discussion. But before we continue. You know what time it is. I really appreciate you tuning into this episode. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review if you could as well, or subscribe on whatever listening platform you might be using, and that'll just help boost its reach and visibility. If you wish to financially support the podcast and the work that I'm doing, please visit ryanholmespodcast.locals.com. Not only will you be supporting the podcast, but with locals, you're actually joining a community, a community of believers who have similar interests to you. You'll receive early access to each episode each week, along with other perks that will be exclusive to our Locals community members. 
and you can subscribe for just $5 a month. If you're on YouTube, please like the video, comment, subscribe, and don't forget to hit the notification bell. Thanks again. I appreciate all of your support. Next, I'd like to discuss the reality of good and the reality of evil. It's pretty clear that there are good things we see happening in this world and there are evil things we see happening in this world as well. But have you ever asked your, yourself this question? Is the evil I see actually evil? Is it evil for all people at all times, no matter the situation, no matter the society, no matter the time in history? Is it evil? This would be an evil that is objective, meaning that it's an evil for all people in all places at all times, no matter what anybody thinks about it or how they feel about it. If there is only if there's only one evil act that's objective, then objective evil exists. Take the example of rape. Is rape objectively evil? Is it evil at all places at all times and for all people? Aside from what people think about it, would someone be 100% wrong if they believed rape was okay or even a good thing? If you're struggling for an answer, I'll clear it up for you. Yes, rape is objectively evil. Next question to ask yourself. Does evil exist by itself? Or better yet, how do we know evil exists? You can't know something is evil unless you can first understand what is good. Let me kind of illustrate this um, in this way for us. Picture yourself standing in front of a tree on a beautiful sunny day. The light from the sun is hitting the tree and the tree casts a shadow onto the grass below. Question, would the shadow be there if the sun wasn't shining? No, right? The shadow is only present because the light is present. If it were a cloudy day and the sun wasn't shining or nighttime or whatever, then the shadow wouldn't be there. In this illustration, the shadow represents evil and the sun represents good. Evil only exists because good exists. Evil is a privation in good. If good did not exist, then evil would not exist either. So if objective evil, evil exists, something like rape, then objective good must exist as well. If something like rape, rape is objectively evil, then this is something that we ought not do. Yes? Right. Pretty straightforward. If it's evil, we ought not do it. If it's good, we ought to do it. This would be characterized as a moral law. Things that we are obligated to do and not do. Now, ask yourself this question. Where do laws come from? If there are ways that we ought to live and there are ways that we ought not live, it only makes sense if there is someone to be accountable to. Laws always come from law givers. So the, these objective standards of good and these objective standards of evil, ways in which we should live and ways in which we should not live, do not make sense without God. They do not make sense without there being someone to be accountable to. Let's understand for a second what the Christian perspective is on this standard of good. It is not something that God arbitrarily makes up on a whim so that he can just as easily change his mind. This standard of good is rooted in his nature, so it's unchanging. 
He is the perfect standard of good. He is the source of all goodness. Anything that runs contrary to his good nature, it would be defined as evil. Now, I want us to do a thought experiment. Let's just try and think about this for a second. Remove God from the equation altogether. Picture it in your mind if you can for a moment. Remove God from the equation. There is no longer anybody to be accountable to. Does this objective standard of good remain? Is there any objective standard of good that remains? I would say no, and I'll tell you the reason why. If God is removed from the equation, who's left? Us, right? Humans. Humans would essentially be the ultimate authority over what is good and evil, right and wrong. This is actually an alternative explanation for moral values and duties. That society determines the moral standard of good versus evil, right versus wrong. This removes the need for God because humans become the ultimate authority for right, uh, sorry, the ultimate authority for right and wrong. However, this perspective does run into some problems. How would we be able to differentiate between societies that are more morally good than others? If one society determines that it's okay to murder and another society determines that it's not okay to murder, how do we know which one is correct? There has to be a standard beyond each society or outside of each society that we can point to to determine which one has it right. But if there's a standard beyond societies, where does this standard come from if not from God? If societies determine what is right and wrong, then how is it possible for the Allies to have held Nazi Germany accountable for their atrocities committed against the Jews? If societies determine what the moral standard is, then one society could never say to another, that's wrong. The same goes for the view that morality is subjective meaning that the individual decides what is right or wrong for themselves. This view is similar, um, but on a smaller scale, I guess, uh, similar to the last view, and they're, they're essentially interchangeable. But if morality is subjective uh, or subject to the individual, then you could never tell someone they are wrong for any actions they engage in or beliefs they hold. If you did do this, then you would have to be appealing to a standard outside yourself and the other person. But the question would remain, where does this standard come from? Remember, if there is some sort of standard that determines how we ought to live, it only makes sense if there is someone to be accountable to. So if we appeal to a standard beyond our individual minds or beyond what differing societies have to say, it only makes sense that that standard has been provided to us by someone who we ought to be accountable to. Laws always come from lawgivers. You see, nobody actually lives like this. If they genuinely believe that the individual determines what is right and wrong, or societies make that determination, they don't actually live that out in their own lives. I mean, just think about politics for a second. We are quick to say someone is wrong for their political views, and we're quick to determine that this country or that country is wrong. We go as far as calling an individual or another country evil for their politics. And we certainly wouldn't react to a murderer or a rapist, a child abuser, and say, oh, you're just setting the standard of morality for yourself. Or look at another country or society that approve of those things and say, oh, that's just what they've established for themselves. 
Why is this? Because we intuitively know those things are wrong. And let me just say that I certainly wouldn't want to live in a world where we simply wash our hands of those things and say, I just have a different standard, or we just have another standard here. Morality determined by the society or the individual creates an unlivable world. And these views are just too problematic. Now, can objective moral standards be established without the need for God? Some have suggested that this is possible, and they've suggested that it's possible through a Darwinistic evolutionary process. But the problem with this view is that Darwinistic evolution is not aimed at morality. It isn't even aimed at truth. It's simply aimed at survival. Some would appeal to human flourishing as the ultimate standard for what is good and what is evil, but who says human flourishing is a good thing? you still seem to be working your way back to a standard that would be able to determine whether human flourishing is good or not. Also, what if someone's understanding of human flourishing was flourishing for themselves at the expense of someone else's else's flourishing? How could we determine which is correct? We seem to be continually coming up against this stubborn wall of this moral law given to us by a moral law giver an objective standard of right and wrong. So today, that's where we will cut it off. I'm sorry if I'm kind of ending it on a cliffhanger, but we're going to end our discussion there today. Next week, we will elaborate more on why the so-called problem of evil and suffering is not as big of a problem as it's made out to be. We will also look at some reasons as to why evil and suffering can actually be beneficial to our lives as believers. We'll also talk about why I believe there is evil in this world. Um, So we're going to get to that next week. So that'll be it for today's episode. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any questions for me, thoughts, comments, even topics you might want me to discuss in a future podcast, um, or a future episode, I should say, please send an email to ryanholmespodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to visit ryanholmespodcast.locals.com to join our community. I appreciate any support. And if you're on the YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, hit the bell. And ultimately, please share this podcast and let's encourage others to think about their faith and live it out. See you next week.